Y'all know me. Like, usually I'm the guy that's sitting around saying, oh, my God, I can't wait to do radio. I can't wait to get out there and get all my takes out. I'm the one that's coming in all skipping through the tulips saying, whoa, what a night it's going to be. Not this week. I was kind of hoping there'd be no Spain and Fitz. Here we are anyway. <laughs> Spain and Fitz. She's Sarah Spain. I'm the very defeated Jason Fitz. We're hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We are stacked tonight with some great ones. And feel free to be kind to me, Spain and Fitz Nation, on the Dr. Pepper nah. Twitter feed, uh, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is heating up. Fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve i mean i you know what sarah uh, there was a moment and i'm just gonna rewind because it's been a blur for the last several days of my awfulness there was a moment where i wake up on sunday morning and i think you know what the ace is lost but it's okay like it's okay even though the ace is lost in chicago sky or in the WNBA finals like I, i'm still i've got joy because today is the big bears raiders game and i feel good about the matchup and then the, the you know they go back and forth the raiders score a field goal they get deep into territory it's three nothing they're about to hold chicago to what looked like it was going to be another punt had all the momentum i'm thinking man 10 nothing before before the end of the first quarter, I'm going to have a beer. And instead, I had many beers after the game because it turned out to be a game full of sorrow and uh, and loss for me. Your team just kicked my team's butt, and it was not fun <laughs> to watch. Uh, I thought it was fun. No, I had no. a great time. Yeah. I will say, I will keep it quick because I want to get into all the Gruden stuff and all the latest. Uh, but but it has been a couple days since uh, we've been on, and I never had the chance to gloat. So I need to do that real quick. A couple things that I need to point out. Beautiful stadium. Extremely friendly staff to the point where even on our way out, they congratulated us on our win. Uh, no fighting with Raiders fans. I saw some hugging even. Uh, so it was it was a nice atmosphere. The Bears definitely took advantage of a lot of the Raiders shooting themselves in the foot. Penalties, drops, etc. But they also really showed up on defense. Absolutely, completely took out Waller and showed up on the defensive front. Uh, Khalil Mack and company made things real difficult for them. So very proud of my squad. I do need to point something out for our closest listeners who uh, might be trying to keep track of whether Fitz is technically off the hook now for all of the bets that he lost. See, if you remember correctly, I beat Fitz at every bet. He eventually owed me, I think the final count was, a charcuterie plate, a bottle of wine, two steaks, dessert, and performing on his violin next to the table while I ate all of those things. Lucky for him, I'm a vegetarian. The steaks are out the door. The charcuterie plate's just cheese. And yet I've still received none of those. But... His connection with the Raiders was supposed to be hooking up tickets for his wife and him and me and my husband. All was going to be forgiven. Great. Thanks for the hookup until they told him, never mind. You could have one spot in the press box and one real ticket. So all bets are off. Fitz still owes me everything. I mean, nope, you sure didn't. And thankfully, my amazing friend happened to be going. And when I told him we hadn't gotten tickets, he said, oh, I happen to have two extras in this beautiful row 11 club 100 level though. $700 a piece. You want to come for free? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That works out better. Now I don't even have to sit with whiny fits as his team bungles the game away. Uh, So, yeah, you're back on the hook. And we won. Tough day for you, friend. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. You're you're right about everything you just said. And uh, I sat in the press box. By the way, I I was very professional this time. Only dropped one F-bomb in the press box. Which I felt like was was a real sign of personal growth. 
And uh, if you'd asked me as I dejectedly walked out of the stadium hours after everybody else did and just sort of walked my way silently back to the Luxor where I then got a fat Tuesdays and started drinking away my sorrow. <laughs> if you had asked me then if that would be the low point of my week, I would have said yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It can't get worse mm-hmm. than can't this. Worse. That's a phrase we should never say never, in, ever, 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 ever. Like, it can't get worse than this is like the new horror movie rule. Like, you know, I'll, I'll be right. right back and never say it. I said, well, it can't get any worse than this. Mm-hmm. While I lost my money at the roulette table and drank my Fat Tuesdays, only and to then, find out right, that yes. it gets even worse. Obviously, by the way, by the way, it's Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, Jason Fitz. If I don't know, ten days ago, you had asked both of us, one of your teams is going to drop to two and two, and they're going to fire their coach. When your team was three and zero and living the dream, and you were talking Carr for MVP, did you think that would be you and not the Bears? Wait till Carr makes the resurgent rise back oh, to the top. Okay. Okay, There's still we're plenty doing of that football now. left. Um, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Now, obviously, Friday, all of the conversation was around uh, an email that had been discovered uh, that John Gruden sent to Bruce Allen, who at the time worked with the Washington football team. And uh, for anyone that doesn't remember, Bruce Allen worked with John Gruden not only for the Raiders, but also for the Buccaneers. And part of that email uh, used a racial trope that uh, was absolutely inappropriate. And uh, Gruden came out and essentially said, I don't want want to keep answering questions about this i don't have a racist bone in my body did what so many people do in that situation apologized but also said let's not talk about it anymore and that didn't become an option any longer because uh, as as the the world now knows a whole series of emails have been discovered where gruden uses misogynistic uh, terms homophobic terms i mean basically every check but every box that you don't want to check off as a human being he managed to check off over the course of these emails and uh, it really left the raiders in the decision of what to do it didn't take them long once these became public in an article uh, published by the New York Times, it didn't take long for the Raiders to part ways with John Gruden. And Sarah, I just, I quickly have to say to everybody that's trying to figure out, you know, the whys and the hows and all of these different things, the most important thing to me here is that a side of John Gruden not many people know has been discovered. And the minute that side is discovered, you now have to dis- decide what you're going to stand for as a fan, as an organization, as a team owner. As a Raiders fan, I am incredibly happy that John Gruden will not be on the sidelines on Sunday, not because of cancel culture or any other stupid term that people are using but because an actual group of emails that were sent by this man were, were exposed to the world that showed a side of him that now once you've seen it you can't unsee i hope he learns from his mistakes but the hurt he's caused and the verbiage he used cannot be excused it cannot be allowed and he shouldn't be anywhere near a sideline if that's who he is as a person i completely agree fits and also worth noting it was not one email it was not 10 years ago it was over the course of seven plus years that's who he is that's just who he is. And when he said, I didn't mean to hurt anyone, you didn't care about anyone else. You took shots at every group possible that is not your own. And in the end, it was an easy decision to fire him. What will not be easy going forward is how to explain that the investigation into the Washington football team resulted merely in a $10 million fine for that team. And John Gruden's the only one who ended up being exposed. Now, Bruce Allen who was already fired. But in the end, you've got 650,000 emails reviewed as part of this investigation. And you want to tell us that the only person who did anything worthy of this kind of focus was John Gruden and only because they were leaked, presumably intentionally by someone who had some ulterior motive related to what we're still not sure. 
Because, you know, there's also an email leaked relating to Adam Schefter's conversations with Bruce Allen. Is that the same person? Is it they're both from a, a legal filing that Bruce Allen had with Dan Snyder? There's a lot more to get to in this. Not because it's not okay what happened to Gruden, but because we definitely need to figure out the rest of it. By the way, it's Spain and Fitz, and we're going to talk a little bit of puck coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by good friend Emily Kaplan. Hi, friend. How are you? It's awesome to get to talk to you about hockey because there's some, you know, I don't know if anyone's heard. There's some little things going on between the network and the NHL that everybody seems to be super stoked for. So let's start by telling everybody kind of where they can catch you, particularly with the NHL and your coverage with the network. Well, thank you, guys. Um, yeah, you can catch me in a lot of places because all of a sudden we have hockey in a lot of places. Uh, I'll be between the benches. I've got three more games in October. It's a cool opportunity for me. You can also catch me on The Point. That's our new studio show. It's focused on storytelling. And then I also have a podcast with Linda Cohn, who's just the goat and someone who's held the torch and carried the torch for hockey for so long at this network, and it's called In the Crease. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Emily Kaplan, certainly an upgrade from the usual between the glass representative who will not be named here. Emily, I've been focused on my Bears beating the snot out of Fitz's Raiders and recovering from my Vegas trip. I got my Red Stars looking for a playoff push tonight. I got my Sky and Game 2 at the finals. So let's just say, as a hockey fan, I've been delinquent. So talk to me like I'm just learning hockey. What is the biggest story for the league coming in? Is it the Kraken? Is it the Lightning three-peat? What am I missing? Oh, that's a great question. I do think the Kraken coming in is really significant just because of what the Vegas Golden Knights did and the expectations for them. Also, Seattle, just as a franchise, is doing things a little bit differently. Their arena is called Climate Pledge Arena. It's going to be the most sustainable arena in the world. A lot of green initiatives there, so that's pretty cool. Um, honestly, though, if you're here in the States, um, you know, obviously Seattle's in the States, but the Battle of Florida is a storyline that I'm going to be following this year. The Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay Lightning are like two of the best teams in the league right now. They have so many skilled forwards, but they also play a really heavy game. And just when they met in the preseason, they had 96 combined penalty minutes. So if mm. that is a foreshadow <laughs> of what's to come, I think those games are going to be must-tune-in events. I think there's an inevitability, Emily, whenever ESPN starts covering things, it just gets more attention, right? So there's going to be new attention paid to the NHL, maybe by a lot of fans that haven't been paying as close of attention. I saw you uh, wrote an article on Austin Matthews and had some information on why he's sort of the non-traditional star for the NHL right now. In your mind, give me uh, like a player or two that you think are suddenly going to be discovered by the world and become sensation simply because more people are paying attention. Oh, that's such a great question. Honestly, you know, we've been talking about Sid and Ovi for so long, and they're still wonderful players, but, you know, Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews are the three best players in the league right now. So if you don't know those guys, make sure that you pay attention to them. Uh, Nathan is on the Colorado Avalanche, one of the best teams in the league, someone that everyone is expecting to make a Stanley Cup run. He's feisty. He's so fun to watch. After they lost in this year's playoffs, it was like the fourth straight year they lost in the second round. He was so angry. He was actually pissed off. And I want to say that word because apparently I'm not allowed to say it. I said it on the air last night, and some people got mad at me. So I'm just going to double down and say it again on your airwaves. 
He's oh, pissed good, off good, that good. they lost. So so um, and he, anyway, he's just a fun player to watch. Connor McDavid is the most skilled player that we've seen probably since Mario Lemieux, and he's chasing all wow. of these records, and he's going to break a ton of records. He's just unbelievable. And then Austin Matthews, an Arizona-born, I wrote about him this week, uh, Mexican mother, such an unlikely story to be the center of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is the center of the buttoned-up hockey universe. And first American to win the goal-scoring crown since Keith Kachuk in the 1990s. Like, he's a kid that you're going to want to pay attention to. And I say kid because he's only 24 years old. He just turned 24. Check out that story, All Eyes on Austin Matthews. It's an ESPN cover story. Those are the extra fancy ones that since there isn't an ESPN the mag, <laughs> the digital version is full of lots of cool things and imagery. Check that out by Emily Kaplan. It's up on .com right now. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to our NHL BFF, Emily Kaplan, who is going to be all over your televisions and your websites as the ESPN NHL coverage really gets going. Let's get some predictions for our teams. Uh, I only have one. It's the Blackhawks. Fitz likes to dilly-dally between the Preds and the Golden Knights, depending on who's doing better. Those three teams, what are our expectations? All right. We'll start in Chicago, Sarah, obviously. Um, the Where we should. I mean, I'm in the room, though. Like, I'm here. I live in Chicago, too, Fitz. It's both of our cities. That is fair. That is fair. I'll get to you. You have two teams. Come on. You can't be that selfish. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have high expectations, you know. They are kind of in a rebuild right now, but then all of a sudden this summer they went after it. They got Mark andre Fleury, who is coming off a Vezina season, and it's just kind of hard to wrap your head around the fact that the Blackhawks were just able to trade for him literally for nothing for a player that the Vegas Golden Knights didn't even want to put in their farm system. Um, that's just because they wanted to make way for Robin Lehner. Um, They addressed every position of need, specifically defense. They get Jonathan Taze back. They add Tyler Johnson. So, I think they could be a sleeper pick to make the playoffs. I'm not sure if they have it for a long run. At the same time, when you've got that veteran experience and then an influx of youth, sometimes it's just the perfect magic recipe. As for the Predators fit, I wouldn't get your hopes up this year. They're kind of in a transition. Um, you know, they've got two centers that take up a ton of money in Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. It just really hasn't worked out for that core. So, um, they might be able to surprise people. They came on strong at the end of last season, but I think we're going to start to see them add a lot of prospects and start thinking towards the future. And the Vegas Golden Knights, that was my Stanley Cup final pick. That was my Stanley Cup winner pick. Uh, I love them. I love the fact that Robin Lander finally gets the chance to be a true number one. Um, they've got all of the tools. The one weakness they have, they don't have a true number one center. They've been using Chandler Stevenson there, and he's great. But uh, they really could be a team in on Jack Eichel. So maybe watch that if they can clear cap space for him. Hey, real quick, Fitz, I want to follow up just because you mentioned Lander twice. He's made some headlines. I wonder if you think they'll actually push the league in any in any way to address some of the questions about coaching behavior, about administ- administering uh, medication and, and, and drugs to players without truly, you know, making sure they understand what's being done. He brought up a lot of stuff. Do you think it'll get buried? Um. I don't because I know Robin and we talk and I talked to him last week and he basically said, look, I'm not going public with all of this because they're listening to me and we're going to work behind the scenes. And now that I have an audience, I'm actually confident that they are going to look into some practices. He also learned that there's some things that the NHL and NHLPA were doing behind the scenes that he wasn't aware of. So um, I'm confident if he's confident, but I also told Robin, look, I'll tell the media to hold off. That's kind of what he asked me to do is like tell everyone to kind of leave me alone right now as I do this behind the scenes, but let's make sure that we hold them accountable and I'll check in on you in a couple weeks in a month or two months from now. And if you're not seeing the progress, then let's call them out. Nice. 
All right. And just to be clear, I'm going to say it right now, like I've had such a rough week, particularly as a fan. I'm going total front runner this year, so I'm all in on Vegas. Unless Nashville shocks the world, I'm now just fully in on the Golden Knights, even if their name is terrible. It still should be the Silver Knights. All right. <laughs> Emily, uh, be, as, as we kind of look at this NHL season, we have to look back, a li- I think, a little bit. Can you give me sort of quickly your thoughts on how the quick turnaround, the COVID season last year, like how does all of that impact what we'll see this season on the ice? That's a great question. Um, You know, it was a super quick turnaround. The Tampa Bay Lightning had 97 days since they won the Stanley Cup to when they raised the banner and played last night and did not play well, did not come out with a lot of energy. Um, You know, the NHL was really strict about COVID the last two seasons. The bubble was a really not great experience for a lot of guys. They were pretty restricted last year. I think that is one of the reasons why the NHL is one of the highest vaccination rates in pro sports. There's only four players as we open the season that are not vaccinated. It's pretty impressive. Not 4%, just four players. Um, So, you know, it's still living with us, though. And the Pittsburgh Penguins already had two guys out with COVID protocol, Nathan McKinnon, who I was just hyping up. He's not going to be there for the season opener. Um, It's just these challenging times. And I think the guys have pushed through it. I think they know that the league needs them to because the league has lost a lot of money and the show must go on, especially with these new two rights holders. But it definitely hasn't been easy on anyone. And I don't think the product has suffered. And I think that is a testament to these players and these coaches for just putting their, I'm going to use a hockey cliche, 110% every night. (laughs) Well, one thing I know is that you always bring 110% to everything you do. Follower all over our ESPN NHL coverage. I'm so happy that it's happening. Uh, Emily, you do great work. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks, Emily. Oh, my gosh. I love you guys, and I'm rooting for oh, – you have three teams in the Western Conference. I was going to say Blackhawks versus uh, Vegas Golden Knights. How about a Western Conference final? How about that? There we we'll go. That. All we'll right. Take we'll that. take it. We'll take it all day. Oh, thanks, guys. I mean, we say we'll take it, but I'm tired of getting my butt kicked by Sarah. So, no, I don't want any of that. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Hmm. Saving your bundle home, auto, or motorcycle insurance, visit Progressive.com. I'm just saying, Sarah. Like, I've had all the beatdowns I could take as a fan this week. I'm out on any bets, you know, in future, moving forward when it comes to the NHL, because all you do is kick my butt. Like, me I mean, to be you- fair, I did lose one bet to you, and it was about the regular season records of my sky and your aces, and it only... I only lost because Candace Parker got hurt, but I immediately paid you back the half that I owe you. You have to tell me the other half, which is what Aces no, gear you want. You're right about all that, but look at how the gods clap back on that. The gods clap back by making sure that the Aces didn't get yeah, to the uh, WNBA sure Finals and the Sky did. I can't win. Right in the world. Oh, game two of the WNBA Finals. We'll preview it next. Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Boy, are we pumped to be uh, on the air instead of Fitz getting to avoid talking about the Bears Raiders beatdown. I was really hoping we'd make week. it weeks, weeks. Yeah, that way, it was yeah. like out of sight, out of mind. Especially after the other news. I mean, just out of sight, out of yeah, mind. Yeah, just. Uh, just but we got a lot it. to say about it. We're going to get back to the Raiders and Gruden and the fallout for the NFL. Also, uh, some Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons stuff as well. But we got baseball going on. We are actually on the air because the two ALDS series ended early. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN MLB reporter Alden Gonzalez, who is going to get us prepped for tomorrow's game. I don't think there was any other way for Giants-Dodgers to end than going all the way, Alden, just because we've seen these two teams battle back and forth. It came down to one game in the regular season for who won the division. Do you see a clear edge for either team heading into tomorrow? Sarah, I really don't. And, I mean, I can't, I can't adequately, adequately describe just how close these teams have been. I mean, it's not just one game during the regular season. 
they were separated by two runs in their 19 regular season meetings. They've obviously split these first four games. They've both won exactly 109 games this season going into game five. And the perception at the beginning of the year can still apply, which is that the Dodgers are the more talented team. They look like the more dominant team. Every time they play a game against them, they seem to have the pitching advantage. But none of that really matters because the Giants are just so good at executing. They're, they are a tremendous defensive team, as we have seen through this, through this series. They're really good about matching up in their bullpen. They're really good about matching up in their lineup. And, look, the Dodgers are going to have a 20-game winner in Julio Urias pitching for them in game five. But the Giants have their pitching set up really nicely for that game because Logan Webb, who threw seven and two-thirds scoreless innings in game one, is going to be fully rested. Right behind them is going to be Kevin Gossman, who was basically their ace all year. He could pitch however many innings they need to in game five. And they have this young kid that a lot of people still don't know about. His name is Camilo Duvall. He has been lights out for several weeks now. He's emerged as their closer. He didn't pitch in game four. He's obviously off today. He could provide whatever he wants out of the bullpen. They'll be at home. I'm not saying I'm picking the Giants, but what I'm saying is, they're set up really nicely to win game five. Yeah, well, I mean, you said everything but you're picking the Giants. I'll, like, I felt like we were headed there. So, uh, I mean, I feel like everybody, and, and we've been asking this for months now, we, everybody's been waiting for the Giants at some point to hit a wall and just fall off. So what is it about this particular team that has made them not so difficult to beat, not only just in the regular season, but also even in this series? I think they're deep and they're smart about how they use their players. Um, I think it's, you know, one thing that hasn't been spoken about enough is that Buster Posey didn't catch more than three straight games. He didn't catch three straight games all season during the regular season, which helped, helped them sort of hold up. Um, what they did to preserve Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt before he went down, and Evan Longoria really speaks to that as well. But no matter who the other side pitches, even with Brandon Belt out of the lineup right now, the amount of right-handed hitting options and left-handed hitting options that the Giants can trot out there, I don't know that many teams had, many di had as many different lineups as the Giants had this season. No team had more pinch-hit plate appearances this season than the Giants. I know that's kind of boring stuff, but when you, when you go through a season, through such a long season, having that sort of depth and versatility that the Giants have baked into their roster makes such a big difference. The same thing in their bullpen. They have so many different arms. They're so deep down there. So even if their starting rotation is not giving them what they need, and it's not the biggest of names, it's guys like Alex Wood and Anthony Descofani, and the country is just getting to know Logan Webb right now, they can go to their bullpen immediately, and they could keep the game close. I mean, game four was a perfect example. Anthony Descofani gets roughed up, and it's clear early on that he doesn't have it. So game counter starts going to his bullpen that game ended up being a lot closer than we thought it was going to be. And that's just what they do. They match up everywhere, and then they're just – I mean, I think they're one of the best defensive teams that, that I've ever seen. I've been stunned by how well they defend everything um, through the first four games of this series, and that shows up big as well.
Alden Gonzalez is with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can follow him at Alden underscore Gonzalez on Twitter. He's brought to you by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear more driven. I think you covered almost every aspect of this matchup, but I don't know if you told us whether you give a nod to either of these managers in a winner take all situation. That's a good question. I don't know that I do because number one, I think tactically Gabe Kapler has proven, even though he took a lot of criticism in Philadelphia for some of the ways that he manages bullpen, he has proven to be um, among the best in terms of how he manages situations, when he pinch hits, who he, who he brings in, who he doesn't bring in, um, how he creates favorable matchups. And I think Dave Roberts, is up there as well. And just the fact that Dave Roberts has been through these situations, I think more than any active manager at this point, he's been through so many elimination games. He knows that clubhouse so well. I don't know if I give the edge to any team in that area. I think the one thing, if I have to pick an edge somewhere heading into game five, and I know I touched on it at the onset, but I think it's a big one. The fact that Walker Buehler came back on short rest to pitch game four was huge for the Dodgers in terms of preserving their season and forcing a game five. But the fact that the Giants didn't do something similar is going to be huge for them in game five because, like I said, it's Logan Webb at the start, but it's Kevin Gossman, who was one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. A lot of people forget that. He's going to be available out of that bullpen. He has a completely different pitch mix from Logan Webb and that combination, that could prove really difficult for this Dodgers offense to overcome. I'm not saying that they won't. We've seen sort of two versions of the Dodgers offense during the postseason, even over the course of a six-month regular season, where some days like they just can't get it together, and then other days they just explode, and they look like what they're supposed to. I have no idea which Dodgers offense is going to show up in Game 5. I just know that those two guys being available for the Giants – it's going to, it's a really big advantage for them going in, especially given that earlier today, Dave Roberts said that Max Scherzer is highly unlikely to come out of the bullpen, which is not surprising because he just recently pitched. All right, Alden. So then we know everybody in Atlanta is just going to be sitting back having a beverage and watching this game with a little bit of interest. Who are, who is Atlanta rooting for? I think anybody, I don't think anybody wants to face the Dodgers just because mm. They're so overwhelmingly talented everywhere. And it's not fair to the Giants because they've had this amazing season. But if I had to pick one, I would say they'd rather face the Giants just because the Dodgers, the Dodgers' talent is just it, – it's unlike anything we've seen in recent memory. It's an all-star um, But I don't think anybody it's, wants to face either team yeah. because I think the winner of this series is, is clearly the World Series favorite. Uh, Fitz, to answer your question, one of our regular listeners at Johnny B. School said, I'm rooting for a 26-inning game with all pitchers exhausted by the end. <laughs> game to be decided with position players on the mound. As a Braves fan, I think this is our best shot at winning the pennant. Um, so, yeah, That's that a checks out. Answer. Uh, what about on the other side of things? We know that uh, we're going to get Boston-Houston to kick things off on Friday. you got to take on that series. Houston looked like another level in that White Sox series. The Astros are dangerous. I spent a lot of time around the Astros down the stretch to write a feature story on them. And they're just such a devastating, they have such a devastating lineup. I, I, like, I think with Max Muncy out, I think the Astros lineup is actually better than the Dodgers lineup. 
right now. And they're getting a lot of really good contributions from the young pitching. But I think more to the point, just being around the Astros for a little while, I sense a team that's just so motivated to just prove something this year in the wake of that sign-stealing scandal, hearing so many boos every, everywhere they go, getting so much vitriol spewed at them, rightfully so, uh, I will say, for what they did in 2017. I just sense like a certain edge to this group. I was not surprised to see them dominate the White Sox the way they did. I think they're a really dangerous group moving forward. Awesome stuff. We're looking forward to more of this. Uh, I would like to see a 26-inning marathon game. Why not? Neither of them are my team. That would be interesting uh, Interesting to see. Thanks for the insight, Alden. Thanks, Alden. Thank you, guys. Take care. Sir, are you allowed to, by the way, like, are yeah. you allowed to become a White Sox? Like, Because we weren't together during that whole, like, you know, uh, Cusack deciding he's yeah. a White Sox fan. Like, are you in on that? Can you just like uh, really, worth, really uh, go from one? We're doing your research on. Uh, I actually interviewed John Cusack and wrote a story about his dual loyalties back in 2012. Look uh, you at can that. go back and find it. He actually starred in a film about the uh, the the White Sox Black Sox scandal and uh, has been a longtime fan of both teams. Uh, okay. So well, that Chris, particular it, blogger guy not only embarrassed himself in the moment, but also embarrassed himself by not knowing any of the context or history of the White Sox or really anything in that exchange. So, well, can, yes, I, I heard Canty earlier to today saying his fiance is from Chicago and she's from the South Side. She's a Cubs fan, but when the White Sox were doing well, she became a White Sox fan. Yeah. So I didn't know based on all of that if that was like a thing. I, I think it's fine know. to rep for your city. I think uh, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. But it's Fan and Fitz. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. I do want the White Sox to do well when it doesn't involve the Cubs. I'm, I'm happy for my friends and the city, so I'll leave it at that. Let's turn to basketball. we got to get into some Ben Simmons information and the latest on what Kyrie is trying to spin his crap into. It's next on Spain and Fitz. Kyrie Irving is uh, quote-unquote clarifying. I'm giving you the quote-unquote because you can't see my hands doing that. Some of his thoughts on why he's not going to get vaccinated and won't be with his team and why the Nets ultimately had to say he's essentially off the team. He won't be able to participate in just half of the games. And they've drawn a line in the sand, whereas he hasn't really said enough to make his line very clear. It's actually wavered back and forth, and now he wants to be clear. He's not anti-vax. He just wants to be a voice for the voiceless. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Fitz, the, the stuff about Kyrie that, that has me is, is multiple. One is a voice for the voiceless, but he's not actually saying anything, right? He hasn't actually articulated any of the reasoning behind his decision. He has talked a little bit about people losing their jobs due to vaccine mandates. Now he doesn't like that. But he hasn't talked about the fact that if you are dead, you can't work. If you're in the hospital, you can't work. If your family members are hospitalized or you're caring for them, he can't work. So if he's really wanting to stand up for those whose jobs are affected by vaccine mandates, I'm not sure why he wouldn't also understand that the over 500,000 people who have died in America are no longer working and all of the people around them have been affected. That women are disproportionately losing jobs at record rates because they're staying home because there isn't childcare, or because people are working from home and they can't do their job and take care of their children at the same time. That black men are three times as likely to die from COVID as anyone else. And he is a person who has spoken up in the past, in particular, for black men. All of these things are things I would like answered by him. If he really wants to act like this is a decision coming from a good place where he wants to be the voice for the voiceless. And instead, what we've mostly heard is a bunch of word salad and jibber jabber that leaves me 
thinking this is just like his his dive into flat earthing, which is, oops, I got caught up in some YouTube stuff. I don't have the digital literacy to figure out what's right and wrong. And now that I've taken this stance, I'm sticking with it. I, I'm, I guess where I struggle to see, too, is like the, the benefit of the stance. Like if, if his stance is, I don't want to deal with the vaccination process and I don't want to be forced to do anything uh, and I want to be able to play where I want to play and how I want to play. I mean, all of that to say you can't change the, the laws that are in place in the places that you play. Like, that's the thing that, you know, I, I understand there's an NBA logic at times where, you know, we ask if players can essentially do what they want, how they want, because they become bigger than the brands that they play for. And I, I get that's a, a huge part of the NBA. That's still not going to make you bigger than your local legislation. And that that's the part of this that's all very confusing. I mean, if you're making a statement, you know, against the, the legislation, there's got to be a better way to do it than simply not playing home games right. for the Nets. Like that, that doesn't seem like that has huge impact to me. Certainly not on the people that you claim to be having the voice for. Um, I, I think, I, I wish I could remember the exact term, but Howard Bryant told him he, you know, essentially labeled Kyrie Irving, um, you know, someone who's fighting for nothing. I'll, I'll try to remember the much better terminology he used, but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like he conflates taking a stand with taking a stand for something. He will continue to take a stand repeatedly, all eyes on me, but will not actually ever clearly articulate or get through what the point is. Now, there are times when Kyrie Irving is, is, is doing big, important things, donating money to charities, offering up salaries to WNBA players who weren't given excuses from the from the wobble and weren't going to be paid. Um, he is a massively charitable person. Unfortunately, he is also somebody who is a contrarian for no reason oftentimes, and in this case in a way that's seriously detrimental to his team. Usually you and I say we've never been mad about anything in our lives as much as Stephen A. is mad about fill in the blank, right? <laughs> right. But this time I'm with him. Here he is on first take. Here are the two things that he said about Kyrie, his future, and his thoughts on the situation that I couldn't agree with more. His level of stubbornness has elevated to a glaring level of selfishness, and I completely applaud the Brooklyn Nets for taking this position. I said it before, and I'm telling y'all again. They'd give his ass away for a box of cookies if they could. They're so disgusted with this dude. We're talking about Kyrie Irving not showing up for the Brooklyn Nets after he got guys to show up for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, I question his right. He has the right to do it. He also has the right to go to hell away then. Retire. Retire then. Because you, you, you left your teammates hanging. And Fitz, that's the part that stands out to me that's particularly sad, is you've got a guy in Kevin Durant who's one of my favorite players to watch, regardless of the burners and everything else, who went there with a mission. And that mission is being disrupted by Kyrie. You've got a guy in Kevin Durant who now part of his story forever and legacy will be, you gave up the Warriors and Steph to follow Kyrie, a guy that didn't even care enough about the team and you and the pursuit of a championship to do something that every single epidemiologist and ex an expert and specialist is telling you to do, not just for the health of you and the public health crisis, but just be selfish and do it for the team. You can't even do that. And and you're looking at KD saying, you left for this? I, I'm, I'm curious, though. Like, Stephen A says they just want him out of there. I, I mean, I feel like somebody will trade for him if that's really the, the, the goal here. But oh, that, you want to hear, point. You want to hear why not? Yeah. Brian yes. Windhorst explained it this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. The risk for a player of training a player like Kyrie, even in the, in the best of times with one year on his contract, 
is very high. And then you have the reality that let's say he gets traded somewhere where there's um, a city government or a, a county government that may enact its own vaccine mandate, where you might end up exactly in this situation that the net that the nets are in. So really, the Kyrie only really, in my view, has three ways forward, two of them likely. One, he gets vaccinated and rejoins his team which seems unlikely at this point. Two, he waits for the conditions to, to, to change with COVID, for the Delta variant to pass us and no other variant to come, and New York relaxes the mandate. Or three, he could retire. I think that's unlikely. But, um, you know, that's, that's really the, the hand here. I don't think the trade it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and all of that makes sense uh, to, to what Wendy's saying. I mean, I don't know what the Nets are supposed to do. And mm-hmm. if there's no Kyrie... Their ability to win a championship, I think, absolutely takes a hit. And that's what this was all built around. Like, it's just such a stunning moment for him to come out and and choose this to be the way that he exercises his voice and his platform. And, and I just don't see how it really helps the voiceless. Like, if you're somebody that doesn't want to get vaccinated, that works at a Burger King, are you really going to be able to go into your boss and say, yeah, but Kyrie's not doing it either. Like, mm-hmm. it, this this has no impact. And if it has no impact, then what good are you really doing? The only impact it has is potentially influencing people who look up to Kyrie to make decisions that negatively affect themselves, those around them, and the larger public health. Truly. Truly. Uh, Howard Bryant's well-put phrase is contrarian without a cause. And that's it. Contrarian without a cause. You can apply yourself to many great things, which he has, but that does not erase the moments that you choose something and stubbornly stick to it, believing that you are smarter than others. And do damage with it. And that was the case with the flat earth. Everyone laughed about it. Talk to some teachers about kids coming in saying Kyrie said this, Kyrie said that. That's disgusting. And it it, just further sows arguments and and anti-intellectualism in a way that's actually deeply problematic. And I don't know what solves it. Uh, I mean, at that point, it's like, I just hope he retires in because at least he goes away. That's the only thing that's not Go do the the good things that you care about and want to do away from, from basketball. The Road to the World Series goes through ESPN Radio. Catch all the postseason action presented by AutoZone on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We got some stuff to talk about with Ben Simmons. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we got WNBA Finals Game 2 tonight, what? about an hour what? away from tip-off. The great LaChina Robinson joins us to break it down next. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by Wendy's. Get a sausage or bacon, egg, and Swiss croissant for just $1.99 at Wendy's. During breakfast hours only, limited time only, price of participation may vary. Joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN's LaChina Robinson, who, by the way, was recently a guest on That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. So if you want to hear all about her, go check it out. But not right now because we got to get into game two of the WNBA Finals. My Chicago Sky take a one nothing lead over what looked to be a very tired Phoenix team. They came out strong and wilted. Afterwards, they said it wasn't about that. Diana Taurasi said, we just got our bleeps kicked. Do you buy that? Because that, to me, was about the quick turnover after uh, making it to the finals just two days before. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, obviously, you don't want to take anything away from Chicago. They're playing at a very high level, and, you know, what a dynamic performance with all the offensive contributions, six players in double figures. Kalia Copper was incredible. Uh, Candace Parker's defense is probably not talked about enough. Courtney Ventsloop had zero turnovers in a WBA Finals game. So Insane. there are a number of things that went well for Chicago. And, you know, they came in with the mindset that we're going to take this game. And, and I thought, you know, once that stretch of the second quarter hit, it really was 
um, a dominant performance. However, I do agree with the sentiment that this was not a fully charged Phoenix Mercury team. (laughs) I mean, the team had not stepped on the floor together at all until the tip of game one. They didn't practice Saturday. They didn't do anything whatsoever. Some of the team did not get back from Friday night's Vegas game until mid-Saturday. And then you turn that around for a noon local game, um, you know, on Sunday. It, it's tough. I mean, especially when you're facing now a new opponent, you have to turn the page on the scouting report, get your defensive schemes together and all that. So, anyway, I just say that to say I'm not taking anything away from Chicago, but I'm, I'm excited to see if, a more rested Phoenix team gives more resistance tonight. Spain and Fitz talking to LaChina Robinson ahead of game two of the WNBA finals tonight. Let's talk adjustments then, because I also don't want to take away from a Sky team that when they've had Candace Parker this season has been spectacular and have only improved over the course of the season in in a number of different ways. So what did you see that might work against them if the Mercury can bring it to the table tonight? Well, first and foremost, Sandy Brondella will have more depth, right? Um, you know, she gets Sophie Cunningham back in the lineup, who's been out due to a calf injury. And, you know, they suffered some blows on the injury side of things during these playoffs, obviously also having lost um, Kia Nurse to an ACL injury. And what Kia and Sophie give you is like another six-foot wing. Um, so a wing with size that can knock down the three, that's tough, that gives you energy, um, and the problem, or the biggest problem, I would say, for Phoenix's defense was Kalia Copper, who was a 6-1 wing, can shoot the three, has a mid-range game, can get to the rim. And I just thought that there were times where Phoenix's smaller backcourt of Petty and Diggins-Smith just could not get into the vision of Kalia Copper, couldn't rebound with her. So that's the first thing, is getting Sophie back, uh, absorb some of those bench minutes that I think you know her energy is really fit for. And then, you know, I would like to just see better play out of Phoenix's big three. Um, Again, all things considered, Diane Rossi still had, what, six turnovers in that game. Very uncharacteristic of her. Five fouls. Um, Scott Diggins-Smith was better the first half than she was the second. And Brittany Griner, despite having 20 points, I, I know it's not fair. You look at her stat line, you're like, okay, she had like 20 points, I think six rebounds. That's a, that's a great night, but not for a player that I feel like has been superhuman in stretches of these playoffs. 6'9", Brittany Griner has been really unstoppable. When she's playing at a high level, when she's being aggressive, when she's posting and asking for the basketball, there's really no one in the world that can guard her. So 20 points is nice, but if Brittany plays the way she's capable of, that can become a problem for the Chicago Sky. LaChina Robinson with me talking about my Chicago Sky trying to take a 2-0 lead in the WNBA Finals with another win over the Mercury. BG was a, a, a concern for me. I actually ran into Rebecca Lobo in my hotel in Vegas. I was there for the Bears-Raiders game. Didn't even know, of course, that Game 5 would happen and that they'd be playing there. And was talking to her before Game 1. I said, I'm just worried about BG and who guards her, right? Who's got the size and the speed? And she said Steph Dolson. I said, I, just, I don't know if – it's not that BG is fast, but she's longer and more angular, and can Steph keep up? And, man, she got some great minutes out there, really made her work for it. Do you like the fact that the Sky are kind of putting a number of different players in there and making life difficult for Brittany? I love it. I mean, James Wade has a number of players at that four and five position that have length. Um, Dolphin gives you some strength, some power. Um, he, I mean, they basically rendered 
uh, Brittany Griner, ineffective stretches of that game, just guarding her in different ways and keeping her off balance. I mean, Azaree Stevens, as the primary defender, who is 6'6", again, has great wingspan, held Brittany Griner just two of six shooting from the, from the floor. What Stephanie Dolson did um, was stretch Brittany Griner defensively. You know, her ability to knock down the three, I think she had 14 points off of the bench. I mean, she brought Brittany Griner out of the paint, which then allowed for her guards and other players to get inside. Candace Parker forced Brittany Griner into an offensive foul. So the combination of players that James Wade can use and the different ways that they use their own individual strength to counter Brittany was very effective in, in game one. Um, but I also still felt like Brittany was floating some. She wasn't posting up hard enough. And I, I frankly feel like Brittany has a lot of responsibility. I think she's tired. She right. has to set screens for the guard. She has to block shots at the rim. She's got to post up in one-on-one situations. She's got to make reads out of the double team. I'm exhausted just saying all that. <laughs> Nothing against Chicago, but I'm, I, I can't wait to see what Brittany does tonight. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to LaChina Robinson. I'm sure you've noticed Fitz isn't here. He wasn't allowed to uh, be part of the conversation once his aces got fouled. So this is a finals-only conversation, unfortunately, That's right. for Fitz. Um, <laughs> let's talk Chicago weapons, because coming into the season, you know Allie Quigley is dead from outside. You know that Slute is going to be an incredible passer. He's going to weave in and out of the inside and manage to somehow flip it over those bigs. You know Candace Parker is one of the all-time greats. Kalia Copper, I'm, and I'm leaving out some others, of course. Azaree Stevens has suddenly been a much more of an, of an element, I think averaging 11 or so points a game. You've got, you know, Diamond does it doing it, but Kalia Copper has come sort of out of nowhere, and so much of that seems to be Candace Parker arriving and telling her, you could be the next star in this league if you put in the work, and it's showing up now. How great of a story is that, and how tough is she to guard right now? Man, it's a it's a huge story. And one thing I think we realize in watching this matchup finals is that um, players get better as they get older in this league. Uh, Diane Tarazi and Candace Parker still playing at a very high level at what thirty five and thirty nine years old tells the whole story. Kalia Copper came into the WNBA, um, you know, with the scouting report being she's quick, she's fast, she's athletic, she can get out in transition, she's got a good mid range game, she can get to the rim. But she's worked on her three-point shot, which is big because then that sets up the drive and really makes her unguardable. But we have very rarely, Sue Bird and I were talking on set uh, in the last game, and it's so rare to see an athlete, to see a player in the WNBA that has all three levels but is also extremely athletic. To me, she reminds me of Marie Ferdinand, who's an old throwback probably for a lot of L.A. Spark fans. And then for Sue, she says she reminds her of Angel McCautry. Yeah. who is in my top 15 of all time list. I mean, Angel was a game changer with how she could play in the air and make acrobatic shots around the rim. And Kalia Copper has that same ability. Um, and adding to that, her work ethic, you know, I think James Wade, the, the one thing that I love that he always says about her is she's low maintenance. You know, she's not, she doesn't have a big star mentality, but she's played like a big star. And um, just, wow, what an incredible showing for her so far. She's one of the great stories, and, you know, Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot, the married couple, Vanderquigs out there serving it up to each other is a great story. The fact that the head coach 
of the Mercury. Sandy Brondello is married to the assistant coach of the Sky, Olaf Lang. (laughs) Two folks who had to sleep in different houses and places during the bubble last season. And now they're staying somewhat at home. They check in, but then head to their own team hotels. They had to draft their own children. LaChina, I can't remember. I think the Sky got the son and the Phoenix got the daughter. Is that right? Yeah, I think I believe that's correct. Um, <laughs> I can't keep up with those two, but the other part of that, the other part of of that marriage is that Olaf and Sandy coached Diana and Candace in Russia on the same team. Holly uh, told a, a, a story about that during the game, and that there may be some bad blood between those two players. So, uh, yeah, with those two having coachable for them, they yeah, they also have great insight into you know Olaf on how to guard Diana and Sandy on what to do with Candace. So the overseas aspect of this also comes into play. And I believe James Wade has, has also coached Diana Taurasi. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's just a lot of connection points and great storylines in this one. Great storylines. And let's get someone digging into that bad blood between CP and Diana that we didn't realize was there (laughs) until more recently. Hey, LaChina, awesome stuff. Congrats on all the great coverage. We look forward to watching tonight. Thanks, Sarah. Oh boy. Awesome stuff from her. Game coming up soon. Red Stars in action right now. How am I supposed to watch it all while I'm supposed to be pretending to care about this show? All your teams are doing well. All of my teams are breaking my heart. That's right. Next up, speaking of your crap team, we're going to get back into it. Let's talk about what's next for the Raiders, what's next for the NFL. Also, Demora Smith joined Bomani Jones to talk about it all. You don't want to miss what he said. It's coming up next. How am I to be expected to focus on this show? There's too much going on. There's too many sports. Kalia Watt just crushed a goal for the Red Stars in their playoff push. We're minutes away from the start of Game 2 of the WNBA Finals, and Fitz's team is in turmoil. It's all good stuff. It's Spain and Fitz. Here's Spain Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We talked at the top of the show about everything going down with the Raiders, Gruden, and the overarching consequences for the NFL. And one of the interesting things that... I was paying attention to was the root cause of all this coming out because I'm still intrigued by it and what it could mean for what happens next. What we know about this is that it sunk Gruden and for good reason. But what we also know is there are over 650,000 other emails that were used in this investigation. And we know that the Gruden emails were part of a June court filing between Dan Snyder and former employee Bruce Allen. Were they leaked because of an intent to sink Gruden? Were they leaked because of an intent to buoy the chances of Demora Smith getting reassigned as the head of the NFLPA? Some of the emails were allegedly not part of that filing. So did they find them elsewhere? Do they still have access to other emails that were not part of the filing? And do they have the desire to expose more people? That may be the only way we get to see them because the NFL certainly does not want us finding out What everybody else was talking about, Fitz, especially if any of it involves something like Colin Kaepernick or other important things that would really eat away at the movement they've been claiming to make, at least publicly, towards a more inclusive league. Yeah, and so this is what gets really interesting to me because, you know, as we've said before, and I'll say again for anybody that's uh, newly listening, 
the the whys and the hows of the exposing of who John Gruden is, uh, you know, aren't more important than the fact that he has been exposed. And so I, I have to say that loudly here. Like, it doesn't matter how we got the information. I, I want that information to be to result in him being held accountable. That being said, I think that there's a a real conversation about what's next because, frankly, even for for John Gruden, like if he wants to go through his email, how much does he have there on somebody and other people that are still involved in the league? I mean, I think this is the the curiosity right now. Everybody's going to have is will the NFL bow to the pressure because there's a real amount of pressure coming from all over the place right now to reveal the rest of the findings from their investigation. Remembering that the Washington Football Team investigation didn't even get a written response it just got an oral history like that's spectacularly well done where you just come in tell us the stories and don't write anything down where anybody can see any of it in paper i just don't know that that's going to fly long term and the more that uh, we sort of step into all of this the more people are going to demand some level of accountability i just don't know if the nfl will listen to those demands i don't think they will i think there's probably a lot of promises of none of this getting out you let us investigate you or we require you to be investigated, but our answer, because we need to protect involved parties from other teams, is that we will reveal those results verbally, quote-unquote, to protect the women involved, and then take the necessary action, which, according to the NFL, was a $10 million fine, which is essentially a parking ticket when you have as much money and, and, and the team is worth as much as it is. I mean, you could the argue, reason- by the way, Gruden fi- I mean, Gruden resigned, and again— Deserves every bit of that, but he left way more than $10 million on right, the table to 100%. walk away from the shop. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Demora Smith was on the Right Time podcast with Bomani Jones, and the reason we all want to get to the bottom of this is not just to out people like Gruden who have these behaviors and opinions, that that's a part of it, but also because the larger movement and growth of the league depends on understanding the people who are running it. And here's what Demora Smith said about that. I have less of a concern, honestly, about this being directed at just the Washington football team stuff. Um, What I'm interested in is, is there correspondence that suggests that teams are making decisions about coaches um, based on the color of their skin? Um, Are they actively hostile to players who have chosen to self-identify in various ways? Um, are they denigrating, um, uh, you know, people based on um, sexual preference or, or, or religious identity? Yeah, I mean, it matters, Fitz. And as much as we feel like we already know the answers to that and they're not good answers, Having actual proof of it is how you get those people out of the positions that they're in. But that's why we probably won't see any of this. If you remember, a lot of the reasons that there was hesitance around Dan Snyder and not just removing him as owner, despite what's been a stain on the league for almost the entirety of his ownership, is because none of the other owners want to have anyone come sneaking around their house looking to see if everything's okay. If they take out Dan Snyder for things that are happening in their own team, they might lose their team as well. But at the end of the day... The NFL's got to decide what they want to clean up and how they want to clean up. But maybe, actually, maybe they don't. As I say that out loud, I realize the NFL doesn't really don't have care. to decide anything. No, they just have to make sure we think that they're doing that, that they yeah. care. 
they'll keep doing business the way that they always do business and uh, they'll make the the people they'll get rid of the people that conveniently they need to get rid of along the way again saying that loudly that gruden deserves whatever comes to him it's hard for me to imagine that you know i'm really curious to see how deep this investigation goes with bruce allen how many other people were emailing bruce allen during this time like what's dan snyder's sort of comment what's his takeaway on all of this like there are so many different layers to this Uh, the the curious part that we may never get the answer to is why Gruden you know and and again no problem that it was Gruden but why Gruden in this situation you know and and where does it end from there because I have a hard time believing that there's not more email out there to be exposed that should be exposed right I mean if if the person who revealed it maybe uh just wanted Demora Smith to be buoyed and they thought it could be isolated to Gruden and it would be enough to get him out with the first set of emails and then realized, oh, wow, somehow that's not enough. We have to reveal more. So that, that, that's the second batch. And maybe didn't even consider the fact that everyone would start going crazy asking for the rest of the emails in the investigation. So maybe a miscalculation on behalf of the person who originally leaked it or that person may have a desire to take down more than just Gruden. And that could be yet to come. It's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. This story's not going anywhere. We'll keep talking about it. We also need to address, Fitz, what you think your team does going forward in relation to any number of other things and how this might affect them on the field. But coming up, it's NBA time, so we got to talk to our friend Ramona Shelburne about Simmons, Kyrie, and more. It's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll take a break from talking about just everything around my Beloved Raiders. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. We'll get into more of it, though. And, uh, of course, it's not the only place where there's controversy and drama, as we have a ton of that also in the NBA. And, really, it's a reminder that the NBA season is here. Like, it feels staggeringly early to say this, but the NBA season is here. So we're going to get some expertise on that from the Goodyear Hotline, where we are joined by our buddy Ramona Shelburne. Ramona, thanks so much. Let's start with Kyrie. We were talking about it earlier. What are the Nets supposed yeah. to do at this point with the situation? Well, I, you know, I don't know how long they're prepared to let this go, but um, I haven't heard in the sense that they would be actively looking for trades or anything like that. I think it's more speculative at this point. Um, but how long do you let a guy making $45 million sit on the shelf? Right? I mean, he's, he's a really good player. You just treat it like he's out for the year with an injury or something. I mean, this is, it, it, you know, and I, even if they were look to look to, okay, let's move him or trade him, like the market for him is not good at all because he's not – you don't know how he would react to a trade. You don't know if he would show up. You don't know where his desire to play is at right now. Um, and so it's, it, they're kind of stuck in this purgatory. And so on the one hand, they have clarity. On the, you know, okay, he's not going to be with him. He's not going to be a part-time player. On the other hand, they have no clarity because I don't see – I mean, there's one very easy way this – this end right he goes and gets vaccinated that's that's the right well and i wanted to ask you about that ramona so we're heading that direction it it feels yeah it feels like he's incredibly stubborn about this decision but by opening the door in terms of the spin he has just added which is i'm not anti-vax i just want to speak for the voiceless he then allows himself to later get vaccinated, claim to be yeah. a hero for taking the stand he did, and argue, oh, it was never about the vaccination. It was about being required to. But now I understand that I've made enough of a statement yeah. that I can get it and be part of my team. Do you think that that's likely to happen? 
And does he want it? Does does Kyrie love basketball and care enough about wanting to win a title with this team that he would do that, even though, as Howard Bryant calls him, his priority is to be a, a, a contrarian uh, for nothing, without a cause? Yeah, you know, Sarah, this actually reminds me a lot of what happened before the bubble. Do you remember there was a sort of there was a group of players that didn't want to play because of um, all the protests and social justice movements that were going on in the country, and they they really felt wrong about distracting from that. And Kyrie kind of became the leader of that mo- movement to the point where right. he organized phone calls, and there were a lot of players that were didn't want to go, and they were uncomfortable, and and. And some of that, I think, was very genuine sentiment, and some of it was very much frustration at feeling like they didn't have a choice and that everybody just voted to play because they, they, wanted to, they wanted to get paid, they wanted to, their contracts to be you know, honored, et cetera. Um, some didn't like the process of how it all went out, you know, whatever the wor- reasons were. But Kyrie, as the vice president of the Players Union, became the, the face of that. And he's a... You know, some of that you could say, okay, is that contrarianism? Yes, that is. Uh oh, here's where Ramona's driving through the valley. Our our annual Ramona driving in L.A. through a an area without service. <laughs> it was so good though. I mean, we were it was. We, it, it we was, were really we it had was, it. It was Ramona yeah. brilliance. Oh, we All got right. her back. Yeah, I'm All back. Right, Ramona, I'm back. Ramona, I don't you, know what uh, just, okay. Yeah. Just so that we can get to, to, to some other stuff, yeah. your, your point was essentially going to be yeah. he was certainly being contrarian there, but it also had people wondering whether he yeah. really cared that much about playing. Yeah, but even back in but before the bubble, Kyrie was injured. So he was doing all of this, but he wasn't going to play anyway. Right. Now there's real consequences for him and a championship team. And I think, Sarah, I really do think this comes down to his personal relationship with Kevin Durant and James Harden. These are two guys that they kind of recruited each other all to be there together for that purpose. Um, how much loyalty does he feel towards them? All right. So, Ramona, then, you said championship team. If they don't have Kyrie, where do they stand in the East in your mind? I still think they are. Yeah. I mean, that was the – that was the whole reason why you put all those draft picks in. You give up that much for James Harden last year because he was great last year, guys. Like he was, James Harden was playing like an MVP in the in the time that he was with Brooklyn. Remember, he was the guy who wasn't injured all year. He only he only had that hamstring injury at the end. And I think Harden, you know, is is kind of the trump card here. He, he in some ways he's made Kyrie a luxury item for them. For sure. I think a lot of people are arguing that, Ramona. Ramona Shelburne's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Let's talk Ben Simmons quickly because uh, surprise to everyone, uh, he's there. But is he there to cause chaos, Jimmy Butler style? Is he there to put on a good face and make teams believe that they could make a trade and everything's hunky-dory? And is he not really fully there yet because he might not be vaccinated either, which was something that came from your reporting. Give us an update on that. Yeah, well, he showed up at the at Sixers camp. The first thing he did was call and say, I'm here. I need to take a COVID test. That sort of started the onboarding process. And, and Sarah, really, the, you know, the, the, the protocols answer your question, okay? So there's all these HIPAA laws, and everybody has to be careful about what they say and how they say it to you, okay? But you can just tell what's happening based off of the protocols he's, he's under. If Ben Simmons were, was vaccinated, he would have been eligible yesterday. He would have been eligible the next day after a negative PCR result. If he's unvaccinated, he needs five days. So that process, that five-day process started on Monday. That was the first PCR test. Yesterday took a second PCR test, met with 
um, Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, Elton Brand. The description I've heard of this meeting is it was very brief, maybe 10 minutes. Um, they kind of welcomed him back. Welcome back. Glad you're here. Uh, he didn't say much. If anything, he, it would seem like um, uh, that, that was the point, that he didn't say much. There wasn't really a, just, you know, how are you, or here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm doing. Wasn't a lot, not, not a lot of volunteered. Today uh, was the individual workout day. I'm still kind of waiting to hear back on how today went. But I can tell you this, his teammates haven't heard anything from him. If, I mean, he's not, he's not on the group text anymore. He's not saying, all right, guys, let's do this. Like he's he's back. He's taking his test. He's theoretically going to get paid again. But I think the day you want to watch for Sarah is Friday. That is the first day he would be eligible to return to the team or be around other people um, as part of the five-day onboarding process um, that he's he's under here. Um, and that game is in Detroit. That game is in Detroit. So the team flies out Thursday night. He would not be eligible to go on that flight. But Friday morning he could. And if he's cleared from the health and safety protocols and by the team trainers, if they think he's physically ready to play, he could get on a plane and play with him Friday night in Detroit. I don't see that happening, but it's the first part where we will get a real answer about his intentions in returning to the team. So you said you don't see that happening. What do you see happening? Well, that's the, that's the interesting move here. The Sixers could, could just kind of stall. He could kind of stall. They could just say, oh, he needs a few practices. Right, that that that's the easy move. Um, there's a few practices. We want to be around each other before the game. But if he's serious about coming back to play for them, I'd want to get a game under my belt before I have to face a Philadelphia fan. And that road game in Detroit's a pretty good road game to start off with. Ramona Shelburne's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've spent a lot of time leading up to this season talking about Kyrie and Ben. Give me a story. Yeah. Also, not the Lakers, okay? Not the Lakers. Give yeah. me a story that you think we should all be talking about, and why is it that the Bulls are going to be good? You know what? I kind of <laughs> like the Bulls there. I, I, they, I, um, they sort of don't fit everything in the analytics age that you're supposed to do to be good, but I just like that they keep trying. I like that they keep taking big swings. They <laughs> we'll traded for Vucevic last year. They went out and got DeRozan and Lonzo and, like, I like that they keep making moves. Like, they're just, you know, putting be fun, talented players on they'll the floor. They'll be interesting. Yes. They'll be interesting. Um, you know what? What's the story? Do you want a fun story? Do you want, like, a Just something we should story? be talking about instead of spending right. our time figuring out what Kyrie's doing. You know, have you watched Have you watched the Warriors this preseason? Not a lot. No. They're good. They're playing the preseason, like, full tilt. I mean, they, <laughs> they finally gave Steph Curry a night off. But, like, they've been killing people in the preseason and this kid Jordan Poole who was just a guy that got a bunch of minutes last year he's hitting every every night he's out there just roasting people I mean he hit seven threes the other night he was playing against the Lakers he was great so this I think the Warriors are this team that you know they all they got five years in a row in the finals took a toll they were all burnt out and you know they they took a they lost Kevin Durant so it sort of ended badly and they had these weird two sabbatical years where Clay Thompson wasn't there, but like Clay Thompson is coming back. He'll, he's scheduled to be back, you know, somewhere around Christmas. Um, until then the, my favorite pastime is waiting for Clay Thompson to go live on Instagram. Cause you never know where he'll be. Sometimes he's swimming in the San Francisco Bay. Amazing. Right. Of course. Um, but they have Andre Iguodala back. I just caught them in LA yesterday. And Steve Kerr was like, we've got our soul back. 
because we have Andre Iguodala back. Like they, that's a team. I'm not sure what direction they're going to go, but they seem really. They, they, that's a sleeper team to me. Like if there's going to be a team that that surprises this year, could jump into the top four, top three in the West. I think I like Golden State right now. Ramona, as always, we appreciate your expertise, getting us all excited for the season. Now I'm starting to feel all the the feel-goods again. I thought I wasn't ready for it. You've got me ready for it. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, my friend. Talking hoop. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Ramona. You got it. So, you know, Sarah, I, I still don't know if I'm ready, but now I'm all hyped for Golden yeah, State. Yeah, you're hyped. Right? I'm hyped. I'm hyped. You're hyped for the Bulls is what you meant to say. Hey, guess what I'm hyped for? We have some interesting breaking NFL news, but everyone will have to stick around to hear what it is. Breaking news next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you, just trying to make it through. You know, that that's my whole, I'm just trying to make it through this week. That's all. That's all we can do at this point. Just make it through a, a weird week of my make sports Make no big fandom. plans. It's yeah. the opposite of everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, every, every, everybody else can enjoy this week. I'm just hoping to get through Sunday without any strange news. That's all. I'm, I'm just trying to get through to another week. By the way, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests have appeared with us on the Goodyear Hotline. And uh, there is some breaking news, by the way. According to Adam Schefter, starting the season, ESPN will broadcast a Monday night wild card game for the next Five years. So get used to that Monday night wild card game. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Sarah? Like, it's been so long since I've watched my team play in the playoffs. I don't think I really have a preference. (laughs) I can't tell if I feel like, you know, I'd rather have the first game of the weekend so I can just get it out of the way. Or do I want to watch everybody else play all weekend and then wait till Monday night? And now I'm laughing at myself, even thinking about the thought that the Raiders could be in the playoffs. Oh, God. Wow, that was a real journey you just took me on. Um, What I would say is actually um, the first thing that came to mind is something that uh, someone hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed uh, at Shawnee Sean Sean uh, that gives a disadvantage to the winner of the team that would have had to play the, the following weekend right NFL's doing too much all the time time to bump the brakes toll uh, you'll still make trillions um, I, I thought about that and then I thought you know what uh, inevitably usually a team's doing Sunday to Saturday which isn't really any different than doing Sunday money so I don't think it's that much of a difference I do think it's just the opportunity for the NFL to own another day Right. Um, That's what they want to do. My thing has always been that my favorite weekend, one of my favorite weekends is the wild card Golden Globes. I think that's usually it. It's one of the early playoff rounds is usually during the day and then at night Golden Globes. And I think with the with last year's schedule, it didn't end up working out. I was real bummed that they were separated. So what I would like is for that to come back. I I just want to be able to watch football all day order an excessive amounts of takeout and then watch the golden globes at night. Uh, look, I, I'm not, I'm not mad about that, especially the excessive amount of takeout. That's a, that sounds like a delight. Chinese takeout. I hope in this situation, uh, Thai Just, is my favorite, but Chinese okay. works as well. Yeah. All right. You know, I like my Chinese food from places that probably weren't cleaned properly. And like, it's just, everything seems a little gross Usually when you more walk authentic. in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a thousand percent. Uh, so that's the breaking NFL news. Uh, also I'll keep that there- in mind when my bears are playing, uh, but let's get to what your Raiders will be doing then. <sighs> 
oh, when when Wild Card Weekend, they'll be yeah, hiring yeah. a new coach. I mean, yeah. that's that's yeah. the real of it. You know, the the funny thing is, and I've said this repeatedly, but I, the decision to let Coach Gruden go from a a life decision, a very easy one, from a football decision, a very difficult one. And I'm glad that the Raiders went to the the correct side of that equation. But also, I think it'd be foolish not to at least acknowledge. We all know that Mike Mayock was brought in as the GM, really handpicked by Gruden to simply do what Gruden wants done, is at least in perception. That seems what it's like. So even though Rich Passaccia has been named the interim coach, he's the special teams coach, I, I don't know what sort of shot he would have at the job. I don't think any of us really know. So now it becomes an all-new process of this is a team that their their team president quit before the season. They now have no right. coach. They I may have a new all GM. That front office issues yeah. lot, that were going th on. This is all going to be blown up. I mean, that's a and then you're blowing all of this up with one year left on a year-to-year -year deal for Derek Carr. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Raiders decide that one year left of a year-to-year -year deal is the right time to trade Carr for equity and start a whole rebuild, or do you? Does the new coach want to come mm. in and sign Carr to a big extension? Like this could set the entire Raiders organization back five years, and I don't think that's any any stretch. Now you know. Know, maybe everybody comes together and it's kumbaya and it's perfect and suddenly it's great it's just hard right now to see the tea leaves leading to that so two things one it'll be interesting to see how the raiders try to recover from this being within their walls because it's happening to espn too what did espn know about who gruden was when he was here what did the raiders know about who gruden was when he was there right because obviously you could point to mark davis and the history before him as proof of what that that team stands for. You could talk about the first black head coach. You could talk about the first female front office executive in a major position in Amy Trask. You could talk about all sorts of ways that this team was progressive in the past. Has that carried over to Mark Davis? And is it truly the culture that was there? Or was it a nice thing to put out front while they maybe understood who he was behind the scenes? When... Paul Gutierrez, our ESPN Raiders reporter, talked to Raiders owner Mark Davis. He said today, I have no comment. Ask the NFL. They have all the answers. Right? And as Mike Silver said, profiles and courage for that one. Right? What is Mark Davis going to say going forward? And will we be assured that this was not representative of the, the organization itself, uh, that they were hiding behind a past that no longer reflects who they are? Also, worth noting, I cannot believe it has taken me almost the entire show to go to our favorite website, isgrudengoneyet.com, which I have constantly brought up throughout the tenure uh, of his with the Raiders and the Albatross of a contract and how much money he was owed. The answer, of course, on that website is now yes! <laughs> with a tweet breaking news about his period ending with the Raiders. Fitz, is there any part of you outside of all of the terrible stuff that he said and did that is happy because you didn't necessarily think he was the answer after the first couple of years or that his contract was too long, even if he was on his way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know me, we were together working together on this show when he was first hired. And I've been right. sort of hesitant the entire time uh, to the amount of money and the amount of power that he got for all of that. Uh, so, you know, I think there is an opportunity to, to restart. It's just, it's such a revolving door. And you know this also, like as a Bears fan, Matt Nagy was the answer, right? And now nobody's really sure if Matt Nagy's the answer. It's much like quarterbacks. Right. Like I'm risk averse with coaches. And, and I think you bring up a really strong point with Mark Davis. And, and if I have any one thing that I'm particularly disappointed about from the organization, it's that Mark Davis allowed today for uh, the general manager and three players to stand up at the podium and answer questions. And he himself did not stand up. And I think that's an important part 
part of this. I I am willing to look at it from a logic mind and say, you know, uh, after my years in the entertainment industry, nothing's ever simple, right? So I can find a situation where you got the emails on Friday, you had to call your team of attorneys and say, I don't know what we do here. Uh, can we fire? Is there a morals clause? What are we doing? I can find a, a lot of justification for nothing being done all the way up until Monday. I can I can piece that together. I can't piece together not speaking since then. And to yeah. me, the longer that we don't hear from him, the more that it becomes less. That's more of a statement that gets less benefit of the doubt about how long it took to get him fired if he knew the context of all of those emails. Well, and that's the thing is, is uh, allegedly there's some reporting around these emails being known well before. Um, if that court filing came back in June, did someone point the New York Times or the Washington uh, or the Wall Street Journal or whoever else to them and say, hey, by the way, you should probably go look at these emails that came out in this filing, right? But we also know that some of the emails that were leaked were not in that filing. So where is this source getting them? Why was this the timing? Was it all about Demora Smith? Was it at all about the Raiders wanting out of the contract? And to your point, there is a part of me that thought maybe they want to do some more due diligence because these emails are from a while back. He was not employed by the NFL at the time. What he said was wrong, but he tried to spin it as a colloquialism that he, you know, kind of misspoke. All of that comes into play as you're as you're looking at this. And at least they made the right move immediately after because, boy, Fitz, I mean, that, that was as easy as they come. Now yeah, what happens next seems to be more difficult for them. Yeah, the longer it takes for us to hear from Mark Davis, the more we're going to presume that Mark Davis knew something and is right. trying to not figure out how to manage that situation. That doesn't make anybody feel good in the process. It's going to be ongoing throughout the course of the year, and we'll always cover it.